Well, I mean, I had group experiences because of my family. Uh, like, I had a... Uh, my families were Sufis, and, like, music is very um, big component of, like, the practice of the meditation of Sufis. So um, every week, you know, um, there was this, like, Sufi band that would come to our house and play, and people meditate to it. And so I would, like, join them with my keyboard, too. And that was kind of, like, my group music experiences, which was actually really um, informative. Uh, but... Yeah, I was, like, really, uh, that was very special for me. Like, not a lot of people have that. And, yeah, so no no music education. Hi, I'm Ben Capelo, and welcome to All Keyed Up. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I spoke with Nilu Farah Norbas. Described as stark by WNPR and darkly lyrical by the New York Times, winner of the second Hildegard competition, recipient of the 2019 Female Discovery Grant from Opera America, and a finalist for Beth Morrison Project's Next Generation competition, Iranian-American composer Nilofar Norbas' music has been commissioned and performed by Nashville Symphony Orchestra, Library of Congress, iPark Foundation, National Sawdust Ensemble, International Contemporary Ensemble, Center for Contemporary Opera, Women Composers Festival of Hartford, Public Quartet, Forward Music Project, Calador String Quartet, Cassatt String Quartet, Acropolis Reed Quintet, Great Lakes Chamber Music Festival, and Ensemble Connect at numerous festivals and venues, including Carnegie Hall, Washington Kennedy Center, Mostly Mozart Festival, Seal Bay Festival of American Chamber Music, and many more. A founding member and co-director of Iranian Female Composers Association, Nilu is a strong advocate of music education. In 2014, she worked as the site coordinator of Brooklyn Middle School Jazz Academy, sponsored by Jazz at Lincoln Center. She's currently a teaching artist at Brooklyn Music School, adjunct faculty at Malloy College, a co-director of Peabody Conservatory Laptop Orchestra, and she regularly performs with her ensemble, The Cypher. I loved speaking with Nilufar about her compositions, her teaching, and her advocacy. Hope you enjoy. Nilufar, thanks so much for joining today. Of course. Thanks for having me, Ben. <laughs> so like a lot of our listeners, your career and your interests cover a very large number of bases. So you teach in a ton of different capacities. You're a concert pianist, award-winning composer. I saw on your Instagram, you identify a laptopist, which is a word I didn't know existed. <laughs> um, and as we'll discuss shortly, you're very engaged in social justice and raising awareness of important cultural issues. So I'm always interested. I've had a few people on this podcast who have a wide range of interests, although maybe not quite quite as wide-ranging as you, but do you see all of these different things you're involved in as kind of cut from the same cloth with kind of a through line connecting them, or do you see them as kind of discrete entities? Yeah, that's a great question. I definitely see them connected to each other for sure. Um, and I think just generally, you know, the practice of art is also inseparable from just life and itself and like our own personal experiences. So um, these are all kind of different um, forms of me practicing my art. And that also includes teaching um, as well as um, performing as well as composing. And they all really affect each other in very interesting ways. Like, you know, I'm trying to like teach something to this program and then I notice something interesting that um, I would then use in my own composition <laughs> while, oh, while teaching that I'm like oh this is really interesting or you know uh, like I would come up like a 
student is interested to learn this piece that, that I had no idea about. And then we analyze the piece and I find some really interesting stuff in it that I would end up teaching to some other students or like I would use it in my oh. theory analysis or I would like, you know, uh, be inspired to like do something in my own composition mm -hmm. about it. So they're all like always kind of flowing into each other. And um, that's actually what I really love about why I'm doing so many things, even though it's a little crazy sometimes to be managing all these different capacities. But um, I'm really grateful to to be able to go into different um, roles because I also get to interact with different people through these different spaces, which is also really nice. Hmm. So that's interesting. You're talking about ways in which your uh, teaching kind of inspired your composing in the sense that you'll teach a piece to a student and then you realize, oh, that's a cool moment of the piece. Maybe uh, I could do something like that in my compositions. Do you ever have an experience with the other way around where you feel that one of those other things you do informs your teaching? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I think the way that I compose, I'm always like analyzing things mm -hmm. so um my composition process is very much is also the way i teach which is like we have to understand what we're playing both in mm -hmm. piano and also in composition so mm -hmm. even when a student brings up a composition piece to me that they've composed you know and i ask them to look at it as um with an analysis eye um, to kind yeah. of like realize what they're doing and then if they want to continue doing that throughout the rest of the piece or not um, or even as the pianist um, okay what is what is it that we're playing how is this structure especially in terms of form I think understanding form is really mm. important and that's something that I really care about in my own compositions and so I think um, I really care about form and structure in my teaching as well, and I always want to make sure the students are aware of it. That's interesting. I'm the same way. I mean, I compose too, although I'm certainly not at your level, but I, I <laughs> compose also, and I also teach composition. And um, I, I've had a few other composers on this podcast, and some of them, their approach is much more just kind of improvise and go with it. Um, and there's... A, but then I, and I, I assume you too, I guess, uh, also are much more kind of analytical yeah. and deciding the form from the beginning. So that's interesting that you teach kind of in the same way that you compose, encouraging kind of a more analytical bent. So earlier in this interview, you were saying that you feel like kind of art is inseparable from life. And so I do want to kind of expand on that a bit. Mm -hmm. So there are some people who, like you, are interested in composing and teaching music, and they kind of in their teaching and composing feel like music is this kind of just absolute entity in of itself that is kind of an escape from everything else going on in their life. Um, and it doesn't seem like this has been your approach. I was listening to a few of your pieces just on YouTube before this interview, and there's, there's definitely a, a kind of political theme um, and a lot of at least engagement with social issues and social inequities. But I read in an interview, you said that although people do tend to put you sometimes maybe unfairly in this box of like a political composer. I'm going to read a quote from you that I really liked. You said, what is inspiring to me is exploring the stories that are affected by political situations, as opposed to having a fixed critical approach to a particular political system or person. So can you talk a little bit about that quote? And then do you see a, a similar kind of relationship between teaching and kind of the world around you and culture? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, um, 
I tend to move away from the word political because mm -hmm. I think you would call something political if you're like actively engaging in the politics of it okay. and like the how the political system is being run so you know mm -hmm. um if i had a piece that is like directly pointing at at, a, at an um political person and like saying like oh, criticizing like a specific president for example um then i would i would call that a political piece probably but it's just kind of it's not the kind of thing that i'm interested in Mm -hmm. um, so I'm trying to be more like general and broad in, in, mm -hmm. in terms of like, you know, there are particular situations that you can just look around it with like different dimensions and look, look at it from different views and understand it better. Uh, and that's, that's what I'm, what I'm trying to do with, with my pieces. And I, I think, you know, um, like if I was more interested in the politics of it, I would have rather become a politician I would right. but it's probably more efficient to just run for office than write music about it so <laughs> <laughs> I you know so I think like this space of art is actually much more important much more efficient in terms of um giving us a different view giving us different understanding experiencing the the politics for the, the society at large in a different way than, than mm -hmm. we do in regular life. And that's really what I'm trying to get out more. Yeah, I completely see that kind of dichotomy you're drawing between what is just a lived experience and what we deal with in our experience going through the world and like specific actual political, like as you say, leaders or specific political policies. I think sometimes people are very quick to encompass a very large variety of things as political. And I do think it loses some of that dichotomy that you're bringing up. So applying that to teaching, uh, this same idea that you're not trying to be a, a politician, but you can't help but notice what's going on with the world around you. Can you talk a little bit about how that would apply in a teaching scenario? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, uh, from my own lived experiences, you know, especially access to music education and especially access to music composition education was something I didn't have. And so I was like, I was really aware of that, that once I was in a position that could make something happen, I should. And I have a responsibility but because I've gotten to the point that I've gotten. Um, and so um, I think if something that has always been dear to my heart is access to music education and um it's also important to me because um, the country that i grew up in iran um actually uh, bans music education in all levels in uh public school so if you actually want to pursue uh, a music education it has to be like in private institutes um so that's like something that is like really important to me and uh i've been uh trying in my, you know, very small little ways to, like, provide for that, um, if I can. Oh, that, that's amazing. So there's no pu public school in Iran that has any kind of music education? No. So then that means your, okay, so your education growing up was private teachers, so there was no kind of group musical experience that Nothing. you had growing up? Yeah. Well, I mean, I had group experiences because of my family. Okay. Uh, like, I had a 
Um, my families were Sufis, and like music is very um, big component of like the practice of the meditation of Sufis. Mm-hmm. So um, every week, you know, um, there was this like Sufi band that would come to our house and play, and people meditate to it. And so I would like join them with my keyboard, too, and that was oh, kind of like my group music experiences, which was actually really um, informative. Uh, but yeah, I was like really, uh, that was very special for me. Like not right. a lot of people have that. And yeah, so no no music education in mm. public um, schools as well as um, there are like very, very few private schools that um, would kind of have an extracurricular outside of the academic work mm-hmm. of like having a music education. Okay, so going off of your point that you're saying about kind of increasing access to music education, partly in a way that's inspired by your childhood, as you were saying, I want to talk about one specific thing that you've done. So you uh, teach eight girls at the Zora Orchestra at Afghanistan National Institute of Music, which is part of a New Music USA grant. And so I've spoken on this podcast before about kind of teaching students from different backgrounds. And on the one hand, not wanting to teach in like a way that quote unquote, colorblind, but also not wanting to put anyone in a box. So can you talk a little bit about your involvement with the Zora Orchestra um, and also how your teaching approach when you're working with these students? Is it different than how you teach in other scenarios or like talk about what kind of that experience has been like for you? Yeah, well, I mean, I think um, firstly, I uh, have just for the past few years have had so much respect for after Afghanistan's National Institute of Music, and uh, they've just done such an incredible work at uh, bringing back music into um, Afghanistan and, like, into the culture, and especially, like, again, providing music education, regardless of students' backgrounds, um, you know, anyone who is showing potential, they can come to the school, and um, so I just have so much respect, and uh, this was, like, a really wonderful chance for me to like be able to connect with this institution that I really appreciate. And, um, you know, one thing that you notice, they always say like, there's no female composer from Afghanistan. And, um, you know, this was kind of like a starting point to change that, that, you know, um, first of all, I think that's impossible (laughs) that there's no female composer from Afghanistan ever. Uh, but you know, this, this could be like, hopefully a starting point to change that. Um, um, in, a, in a wider range. And um, I think generally what I like about teaching composition is that it's like more flexible than piano in a way. Um, just generally teaching composition is a strange thing to do. <laughs> um, but, you know, with piano, it's really straightforward. You know, there's a, you have to build the technique and then there's a certain repertoire and then you can expand off of that repertoire. Less subjective, really, yeah. Yeah, whereas composition is really really open you know and you have to be there as a facilitator not to like be like this is how you need to compose um so in a way it makes it harder to teach but it also makes it more flexible um so um what i am trying to basically do in this program is that these girls are writing for themselves so um, they're writing for their friends either a solo piece or a duet piece and um, all of them also play um, uh, traditional instruments uh, from Afghanistan as well as classical instruments and 
Um, some of them chose to write for their traditional instruments, and some of them chose to write for their classical instruments, and um, you know, or a mix of the both. And uh, I'm just there to um, introduce like different techniques and textures, melodies, and kind of like give them ways for them to expand their ideas that they already have. Um, so, but but like you know, it doesn't matter what instrument like we're just like at, at the ideas phase and so um it can um you know work on any instrumentation and so um one other thing that i try to do is to like bring guests from um afghanistan to the class that I, it kind of failed <laughs> that didn't work out but it, that was like very much my effort to to try to bring in composers from afghanistan that they could like engage with um I was able to like get in touch with a really wonderful um rapper, uh Sonita, um who um she's like a singer, songwriter uh, and rapper, um, who's from Afghanistan and is based I think in the US and because the class time is like so early in the morning, um it's like midnight to two AM, she she ended up not coming, but she's gonna like record a video and like send to class so I think I, I felt like that's really important for them to like have someone from a very similar background yeah. um who is like you know completely successful and like incredible at what they're doing to like connect to that absolutely so you brought up a few things there about kind of teaching composition I do want to talk to that but before we pivot kind of into that uh, this organization the Afghanistan National Institute of Music I mean it sounds like they're doing a lot of amazing things I don't know if there's any way that our listeners could support this do they accept donation or maybe something I could put in the show notes or is there any way someone listening to this could support yeah, it yeah absolutely I think they they're always taking donations especially for Zohra Orchestra if you want to directly um, um, support this all female orchestra at Anim uh, you can go to their website Zohra Orchestra uh, and donate okay so to everyone listening I will definitely put a link <laughs> to that in the show notes so donate um, sounds great. So as far as teaching composition, you brought up a few things there about kind of your approach to teaching composition. But uh, before I talk about your approach to teaching composition, I'm interested in how you learned to be a composer yourself. So you mentioned that there's were limited opportunities you had for music education growing up. So did you take composition lessons or can you talk about what kind of your compositional training was like? Yeah, definitely. I didn't have any composition lessons until I graduated from college. Oh, um, so wow. <laughs> kind of late start. <laughs> I have to say, I'm a bit envious. I took lessons way before that, and I can't write those pieces. Okay, <laughs> well, good job. I'm impressed. No. <laughs> I mean, I I always compose like since very early, like mm-hmm. since like I was eight. Like right when I started piano, I was always had these like little things in my head that I would be like, I wrote this, and I would right. like play it for my mom, and she was like, whatever. <laughs> I'm sure she was more supportive than that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I love her to that. Um, but uh, I think it, it got really serious. I was 16. I, like, wrote a whole prelude. Like, I recorded it, and, like, I wrote it note mm-hmm. by note. It was, like, the first time I was, like, I'm going to write this down. Um, and I so it, I, like, finally got the courage to, like, show it to my piano teacher, and I was kind of you know, not, if, if I, I wasn't, uh, supported very well, and it, it, it wasn't, 
it wasn't like you know wow let's let's do this you know it so i was like a little bit yeah. disappointed when i like found all this courage for me to show that um but then you know i i started to have like six months of composition with my piano teacher around that time which actually ended up being all theory classes so not helpful at all so i stopped mm-hmm. that um um and uh i was like ju- i was just decided to just write by myself and not show it mm-hmm. to anyone um and then when I went to college, I still wasn't sure if I'm going to do piano performance, if I'm going to do math, if I'm going to do composition. So I uh, just took the composition seminar um, in college, which was like, you know, like 10 of us and or like sometimes less, sometimes more, depending on the regist- registration number, um, where, you know, we would have an ensemble for the whole class and then we would just write mm-hmm. for that. And then we would have a reading of it by the end of the semester. So I started to write my first chamber music there, but it was still like not very much like part of mm-hmm. a lesson compositions. Um, we would just kind of like open our piece to this class and like listen to some music and talk about new music and stuff. And then um, I really got my first first composition lessons with um, my teacher after I graduated from college with Laura Kaminsky. Um, and, uh, were very challenging classes and, you know, um, I remember, um, very vividly, I would, you know, get really frustrated and be like, I'm going to show Laura, I'm like so much better. And, um, <laughs> uh, but, um, I think what I loved about those, that one year that I studied with Laura preparing my, um, portfolio together for grad schools was that she taught me how I'm the problem with my pieces is that I have like a gazillion number of yeah. ideas and I just like put I them all together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, she really taught me how to develop one or two mm-hmm. ideas over time and expand it and try to sit in it and see what it's an idea's potential to be like six yeah. minutes. Or I think maybe this, uh, like the fact that you started out with much more of a theory background and came to composition late. And then when you did get a teacher, this was a teacher who really you know, kind of forced you to buckle down and not use too many ideas is sort of what inspired the analytical approach you have that you were talking about earlier, how with your students and in your own composition, you want to like establish the form from the get go, you tend to be kind of analytical. I think I can see how that could come from some of the musical experiences you're <laughs> talking about. I do want to talk about kind of your approach to teaching composition, which we've touched on throughout this interview. But one specific organization you've been involved in is the Very Young Composers Program with the New York Philharmonic. Um, and this is a program you students, I believe, can have their pieces performed by New York Philharmonic musicians. So I was listening to some of those pieces before this interview, and they are very well orchestrated. I mean, and so not to be skeptical, but I, I assume that the reason is the teachers kind of do a bit of the grunt work, at least with the orchestration aspect. So when I teach composition to kind of, at least to less experienced students, I'm always thinking about how much I should do for them and how much I should make them do and kind of. uh, So I'm interested in how you handle that in the Very Young Composers program and in general with your composition teaching, how you navigate kind of how much to insert your own abilities into your students' compositions. Yeah, definitely. Um, So... Very Young Composers Program, um, it's it's actually like a varying degree, um, you know, so you would get pieces that are like so well orchestrated already, you don't 
have to even touch it. And then, yeah, some pieces, you know, you have to facilitate some more. But I think the really the motto of the whole program for all of us teaching artists was that we're not editing the students' works at all. And we're only there to facilitate their ideas. Um, And so um, I think um, what I always try to do in my compositions was to like give options so if i for example was like i think this measure of silence is like too much or whatever i wouldn't be like this measure (laughs) i wouldn't say that exactly i would (laughs) i would i would like give options that i think would be interesting to try and then encourage my students to try it and then hear it and then see how they feel about it. Sometimes they accept it and sometimes they don't. And if they don't, that's it. Um, I'm, I'm not going to force anything on them. So I'm always there to just facilitate, um, give ideas, um, and also just give them, teach them my process. And then if they like my process or they could like create another process that works for them, but like, that how my process works like this or like you know let's improvise on this thing this is what you know this is what we this is a chord that we got it's really interesting like let's uh you know do various uh transpositions of it or like do various uh, inversions of it and see how that sounds and then um oh you like that okay so you know maybe we could orchestrate this oh you liked it or you know so like just teaching them my process and um uh, walking them through what they like, not what I like. I think that's a great example of a concept that I talk about all the time on this podcast, which is trying to be student-centered. And I think it's a little bit more obvious how to do that when teaching composition than in teaching piano, because as you were saying earlier in this interview, it's a lot more subjective in composition. So it's a little bit easier to do kind of what you're describing, where you say, oh, here's one option. What do you think of this? What do you think of this? What do you think of this? It's a little less obvious how to have that kind of approach in piano teaching. Um, Although I think there's some ways, if we're in a situation where you're kind of dealing with the more expressive aspects of piano playing or phrasing, you can kind of let the student lead the way. But I think what you're describing is a great example of at least doing that in composition. Um, So last organization that you've been involved with that I want to talk about before we leave is the uh, Iranian Female Composers Association, which you're the founder of, and it supports Iranian female composers throughout their careers. So can you talk a little bit about your involvement in this organization? And also not to kind of put you on the spot, but I don't know if there are any female Iranian composers that you might be able to recommend to our audience, either for Mm -hmm. them to practice themselves or maybe to use on their students if there's a piece that isn't too hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, IFCA is, like, one of my favorite homes in the music world. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's also stemmed from, again, my own experiences in, um, in the music scene, especially in Iran, uh, generally how, uh, women are, uh, shadowed and not present and discriminated against. And, uh, so this really became, like, a space for all of us who knew each other and are active composers to like reconnect and uh support each other and um it has really become a really wonderful uh support system for all of us and um we've been able to like curate our pieces uh, curate concerts of our pieces and 
uh, listen to each other's work, be inspired by each other, have a forum where we share ideas. And I'm just really proud of it. <laughs> um, uh, I think since uh, we're talking about piano music, I would recommend the followings from our members. Um, who are also pianists, really wonderful pianists themselves. So definitely check out Aftab Darvishi, Nina Barzegar, Negina Zomorodi, Homa Sami'i, and Anusha Mwazdani. Um, these ones I know are really wonderful pianists themselves, so um, I would be interested to check out their piano music. But really, you can go on ifkacomposers.org slash members and um, there's at least more than 40 composers there um, um, who are active Iranian female composers, and um, I'm sure all of them have really awesome piano music. Of course, very different from each other, but um, worth checking out for sure. Great. Okay, so I'll put a link to each of those individual composers you mentioned in the show notes and also that uh, membership website. Awesome. Thank you for those recommendations. Finally, before we go, can you give our listeners a sense of what you're up to now and how they can learn more about you? Yes, I am uh, writing a guitar violin piece right now for Colin Davin and Kate Dreyfus that I'm really excited about. Um, I've also started the process for my next opera, um, like the research phase of it, uh, which is one of my favorite things to do um, to, with my librettist. We're trying to um, uh, do this biography opera of this really wonderful Iranian poet, and so we're like, reading about her life and reading her poems and trying to figure out how the, the drama or the story of this uh, opera is going to be shaped. So I'm um, spending a lot of hours during the day just reading about her life as well as reading her poetries and different analysis of her poetry. Um, and uh, I'm, uh, you know, the teaching side is um, actually I just taught my last uh good piano classes today oh, uh, <laughs> thanks yes yeah, it's, it's official summertime so a lot less teaching around this time um but i'm excited for the next few weeks i'll be uh finishing up the zohar orchestra program and hopefully we'll be able to um, have an online concert uh, mm -hmm. for the pieces yeah and sometime in july so i'm excited for that Great. Well, good luck with that. Well, I really appreciate you coming on this podcast. I think I've made it clear that I'm a big fan of your work. And I also have to thank you just to give a little anecdote. So I was listening to, in preparation for this interview, I was listening to uh, your piece. It was called My Body, My Choice. And I think it was the only time in my life when I welcomed traffic because I was listening to it in the car <laughs> in a traffic jam and I really I didn't want to like stop listening to it so I was actually like in my head like wishing the traffic jam would go on longer because <laughs> I was like so into it I mean it's really a wonderful piece that everyone should look up but I you know all your pieces Thanks, I really man. like and I also um, really admire how you've taken teaching and broadened it out and not gone by kind of the textbook way that many people do it and you're doing your own version of it and it's in many ways very inspiring so thank you for everything you do and thanks for coming on the podcast today thank you so much ben and thank you for your wonderful podcast <laughs> thank you and thanks to all of you for listening to all keyed up i'll see you next time mm -hmm.